You're listening to In the Balance, an Iowa Judicial Branch podcast. Welcome back to another episode. This month, in recognition of the upcoming Constitution Day, celebrated on September 17th every year, I sat down with Justice Dana Oxley to discuss the difference between the Iowa Constitution and the federal Constitution. All right. Thank you for taking the time to chat with me today, Justice Oxley. Uh, Tell us a bit about your path to the Iowa Supreme Court bench. Thank you for inviting me to speak with you today, Marissa. You do a great job giving the public a peek behind the curtains into the judicial branch with your podcast, and I'm honored to participate in this one. Well, thank you. Um, I didn't start out planning to even go to law school, let alone be a judge. Um, But a business law class during undergrad piqued my interest in law, and three years of working as a bank auditor convinced me that that is not what I wanted to do with my accounting degree. Um, After five years, I went back to law school. My small section professor, Jim Tomkovitz at the University of Iowa, first introduced me to judicial clerkships, and I was fortunate to land a term clerkship with Judge David Hansen on the United States Court of Appeals for the Eighth Circuit right after law school. A year being mentored by Judge Hansen was not only the best way to start my legal career, but it also gave me insight into what appellate judges do. Not only did I love the intellectual challenge, but I gained a huge respect for the role that an appellate judge plays in settling legal disputes. Um, I spent a couple of years after that in private practice, but when Judge Hansen asked if I was interested in a position as a career clerk, I jumped at the chance. The predictable work schedule for an appellate clerk was a good fit for our young family, and it put me back in the role of assisting the decision maker, which is what I really enjoyed. Um, So when Judge Hansen took inactive status 10 years later, I returned to private practice. I spent the next 10 years or so with Shuttleworth and Ingersoll in Cedar Rapids, where I focused on appellate practice both in state and in federal court. Um, I enjoyed the challenge of getting back into the advocate's seat but I found myself missing the satisfaction that comes with kind of having the final say and getting to be part of the decision-making mm-hmm. process. I also knew it was an unusual path to a judicial position, and I knew I really needed to spend a significant amount of time in practice before I really thought I was qualified to really even seek a judgeship. But I started thinking about appellate judge positions probably in 2018 or 2019, And when Chief Justice Katie's position unexpectedly came open in November of 2019, I decided it was a good time to start the process. And here I am. And here you are. So you mentioned working as a career law clerk, specifically in a federal district court. And now you sit on Iowa's highest appellate court. So what determines whether a case comes before a federal court or a state court? Well, the federal and state governments are distinct. Each has three branches, the executive, the legislative, and the judicial branches. So for example, the president is the head of the federal executive branch, and the governor is the head of the state executive branch. So in the same way, the federal judiciary is completely separate and distinct from the state judiciary. Federal courts are courts of limited jurisdiction, which means that a case can only be filed in federal court if it is a type of case allowed by Congress. 
So cases can be filed in federal court in two general situations. First is if the case raises an issue of federal law. So for example, the Americans with Disabilities Act is a federal statute. So a claim that an employer violates the ADA can be brought in federal court. Or a claim that a person's um, rights under the United States Constitution have been violated um, could also be brought in federal court because it's the federal constitution. The other type of case that can be brought in federal court is a case in call involving a dispute between parties from different states, which is referred to as diversity jurisdiction. And so the thought there is that if a case is between citizens of different states, a federal forum is kind of a neutral place to decide their dispute. State courts, on the other hand, um, are considered courts of general jurisdiction, and so which generally means that courts can handle any type of claim. And so the majority of criminal cases are handled in a state court because most crimes are defined by state law, not federal law. Um, if you compare cases between federal courts and state courts across the country, there are about 400,000 cases that are filed in federal court every year compared to 100 million cases that are filed in state courts, you know, in all, all 50 states. That's a bit of a difference. Um, and so, in other words, there are like 250 times more cases that are going mm -hmm. on in state court than in federal court. Um, so when you hear the phrase, don't make a federal case out of something, um, federal cases really are relatively rare as compared to state cases. And as someone who has worked now within the federal and the state court systems as a clerk, a lawyer, now a justice, can you tell us a bit about what makes the Iowa Constitution different than our federal constitution? Well, that's a really interesting question and one that even attorneys and judges don't always think about as much as they should. There are a lot of similarities between the two. The federal constitution was certainly an inspiration and a guidepost that the framers of the Iowa Constitution looked to. But the goals of each were quite different. When drafting the federal constitution, the founding fathers wanted to create a framework that united the states, each state being an individual so sovereign government of its own, with its own local but also national interests. Our current constitution was not their first attempt either, that was actually a document called the Articles of Confederation. So the current United States Constitution was adopted in 1788 to replace the Articles of Confederation, which many of the founding fathers thought lacked a strong enough federal structure and left the states too loosely organized to fully unify them. So fast forward 68 years to 1857, when Iowa's current constitution was adopted. While at the national level, the main concern at that time was still what it was in 1788, preserving the union of the states. In Iowa, the main concern was simply to create a government that the people of Iowa could live with, since the Iowa Constitution was much more likely to affect their day-to-day -day lives. So rather than how to unify many different governments into one nation, some of the biggest debates in the Iowa's constitutional conventions centered around things like the precise borders of the state, the rights of African Americans, and surprisingly enough, the practice of banking even. Um, in fact, the state's first constitution, which was adopted in 1846, actually outlawed banking altogether in the state of Iowa. Interesting facts. Um, so a good example of the different goals of the federal and Iowa constitutions is reflected in the processes for amending them. Because the federal constitution was a compromise between, between individual sovereign states, it was intentionally made very difficult to amend. 
requiring near unanimous consent of the states. But because the Iowa Constitution was meant to play a direct role in the lives of individual citizens, the ability of the people of Iowa to amend its constitution is actually much easier. Uh, so to amend the federal constitution, two-thirds of Congress have to agree on a proposed amendment, and then three-fourths of the states have to ratify it before it could be adopted. So in the 234 years since the Constitution's adoption, the United States Constitution has been amended only 27 times. In Iowa, the process involves similar steps, but it's actually pretty easier to get that accomplished. In the 165 years that the Iowa Constitution has been in effect, it has been amended 48 times as compared to the 27 for the federal Constitution. Um, Iowa's le legislature can propose amendments, um, but it only requires a simple majority vote to approve that. But it must be approved by two consecutive legislatures. So the first legislature that proposes the amendment must approve it by a majority. Um, then after the next election of legislatures, another majority must also approve it. Um, but if that simple majority approves it, then the amendment is added to the ballot, and a simple majority of the people um, can then pass that amendment. So in addition, Iowans also have a, an opportunity to call for a constitutional convention. Um, I think once every 10 years is the way that works. And in fact, this issue was recently on the ballot in 2020, whether or not to call a, constitution in, a constitutional convention in Iowa. Um, however, there's not been a majority vote in favor of a convention since the 1857 adoption wow. of the Iowa Constitution. Different goals for the constitutions also meant that much of what went into the federal constitution was unnecessary in Iowa's constitution. So, for example, the federal constitution enumerates very specific powers that are granted to Congress, meaning that Congress cannot pass laws outside of those areas. The Iowa Constitution, on the other hand, does not spell out the subjects on which the legislature can pass laws, because it was understood that state governments would have plenary power to regulate for the, what's called the health, safety, and welfare of their set of citizens, or what we often call the police powers. And so, at the same time, some things are very similar between the two. Mm -hmm. um, an example of that would be the Fourth Amendment of the Federal Constitution regarding searches and seizures is called, copied almost verbatim into the Iowa Constitution. And the Iowa Constitution has its own unique provisions as well. Uh, the Iowa Constitution originally included a provision that prohibit, prohibited anyone who had participated in a duel from holding office. <laughs> and that provision actually was not repealed until 1992. Wow. Um, and then a final difference I would note maybe between the two is that the well-known phrases from the Declaration of Independence that all men are created equal and entitled to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness are not actually found in the United States Constitution, but they do appear in slightly different wording in the very first section of the Iowa Constitution. Very interesting. I never knew that. How are conflicting aspects of state and federal constitutions resolved then? For instance, if the federal law constitution provides a privilege or protection that a state doesn't, or vice versa, how and which law is applied? Well, when you say privilege or protection, I take that to refer to individual rights, things like the Bill of, Light, Bill of Rights, um, like free speech. And so focusing on those provisions of the two constitutions it is often said that the federal constitution sets a floor for rights that states can't go below. 
Um, this comparison is helpful from a practical standpoint, but it's not entirely accurate. Each state Supreme Court has the final say on interpreting its own state's constitution. No federal court or other state court can change it, not even the United States Supreme Court. So a state's constitution does not have to line up with the federal constitution at all, um, even though many, like Iowa's, contain very similar provisions. So when, for example, the Iowa Supreme Court interprets the Iowa Constitution, it's not looking to see what level of protection the federal Constitution provides and then deciding whether to meet or exceed that level. Instead, it only decides what the Iowa Constitution means. So it is free to conclude that the Iowa Constitution provides uh, rights that are greater or lesser protection than the federal Constitution provides. So a good example of this dynamic actually came up here in Iowa recently when our court ruled on the ability of police to search a person's garbage can. So under the federal constitution, police do not need a search warrant to search through a person's trash after it's been placed on the curb for collection. That's because as the United States Supreme Court has interpreted the Fourth Amendment, once trash is put on the curb for collection, a person no longer has an expectation of privacy in its contents. Um, last year, in a case called State versus Right, the Iowa Supreme Court considered a similar issue involving the need for a search warrant under the Iowa Constitution's search and seizure provision, which is worded, like I said, nearly identical to the federal Constitution. And so our Supreme Court concluded that the Iowa Constitution does protect the trash that's placed out on the curb, meaning that the police need to get a search warrant before they can go through it. Um, although our court said in right that the Iowa Constitution provided greater protection than the federal Constitution, we could also say a particular provision provides less protection. And so the floor metaphor is still useful from a practical standpoint, because states are also bound by the Bill of Rights in the federal Constitution, not just their own constitutions. So a state cannot violate the First Amendment, for example, um, any more than a federal government official can. Um, so a state Supreme Court could conclude that its constitution provides no protection for free speech in a particular context, or it provides less protection than the federal constitution, but the state actors are still prohibited from violating the federal constitution. So even if something might not violate the Iowa constitution, that fact may be something of a moot issue if that action also violates the federal constitution because the citizen is also protected by their federal rights. Mm -hmm. um, so the opposite situation is also true under the Iowa Constitution. The Iowa Supreme Court has historically been a pioneer in recognizing protections under the Iowa Constitution that were not recognized under the federal Constitution. The first opinion actually written by the very first Supreme Court of Iowa in 1939 was in Ray Ralph, um, and that recognized that a former slave had rights under the Iowa Constitution to be a free person on the basis that no man in this territory can be reduced to slavery. And man under the Iowa Constitution included an African-American. This was almost 20 years before the United States Supreme Court decided uh, the, the Dred Scott case and reached a different resolution under the federal Constitution, including that it did not um, include protections for African. Americans, whether they were slave or freed. Um, similarly, the Iowa Supreme Court um, 
held that segregated schools for black children violated the Iowa Constitution in a case called Clark versus Board of Education in 1868. So 30 years before Plessy versus Ferguson, which is the United States Supreme Court that said that separate but equal was actually okay mm -hmm. under the federal constitution. And it took the U.S. Supreme Court another 50 years or so mm -hmm. to, to decide Brown versus Board of Education. Um, and I guess the final example of of that might be when the United States Supreme Court um, decided that same-sex marriage was protected by the Equal Protection Clause of the Iowa Constitution, and that was in 2009, whereas the U.S. Supreme Court did not reach that same decision under the federal Constitution until 2015 um, in the Oberfeld decision. Um, so I guess to more directly answer your question of how the law is applied when the state and federal constitutions are construed differently, the citizens get the benefit of both and they're protected. Um, so if they're protected by one, that's really all they need. As we mentioned earlier, the Iowa Supreme Court is the court of last resort. Its decision is final on its interpretation of our constitution. Not even the U.S. Supreme Court can change that. Are there instances, though, when a case from the Iowa Supreme Court could be appealed to the federal United States Supreme Court? Uh, so like I said before, the United States Supreme Court has no say in what the Iowa Constitution or any Iowa statute for that matter means. Um, but often parties will raise claims under both the Iowa and the federal constitution, especially in cases where there are similar provisions. And in that case, a party who loses an appeal in the Iowa Supreme Court can seek a writ of certiorari to the United States Supreme Court, but only on the federal claim. Um, an example of that occurred a couple of terms ago in a case we had called State versus Struve that involved a challenge to a traffic stop where the officer believed the driver was illegally using his cell phone. The Iowa statute governing use of a cell phone um, allows a driver to use their cell phones only for certain limited purposes. And under the search and seizure provisions of both the Iowa and federal constitutions, an officer has to have what is called reasonable suspicion that a driver is violating the law before he can pull the driver over. The driver in that case was ultimately convicted of drug-related crimes and appealed his conviction, arguing his rights were violated under both con constitutions when he was stopped. The Iowa Supreme Court held that the officer um, could stop the driver and that the driver's rights were not violated under either constitution. So the driver then sought a writ of cert to the U.S. Supreme Court on, on whether or not the federal constitution was violated. The court could have taken the case to decide whether the driver's federal constitutional rights were violated, um, but it could not have decided whether or not the, the state constitution was violated. So that, that decision was final. Ultimately, the U.S. Supreme Court did not take that. Um, but otherwise, that's the, really the only way that a case from the Iowa mm -hmm. Supreme Court gets to the U.S. Supreme Court. Essentially two different decisions that ha don't implicate the other. Exactly. The, the state constitutional issue is decided by our court and that's mm -hmm. done. But to the extent that we decide federal, um, federal law issues, then the U.S. Supreme Court can review that decision. Okay. And lastly, um, is there anything that you'd like our listeners to take away from this episode in particular? Um, I think that it would be to recognize that just like there's a distinct difference between the state and federal governments for the executive and legislative branches, the state judiciary is also distinct and separate from the federal judiciary. Just like the Iowa legislature enacts laws that more directly affect lives of Iowans than Congress does, 
The state judicial system decides the vast majority of legal disputes involving Iowans, both civil and criminal. And relatedly, Iowa citizens have rights that are protected um, not only by the federal constitution, but also by the Iowa constitution. And those rights are not always identical. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Justice Oxley. The Iowa Judicial Branch will be celebrating Constitution Day on September 15th, 2022, when the Iowa Supreme Court will hear two cases of Iowa constitutional question, the first at 9.30 a.m., the second at 1.30 p.m., which will also be live streamed, as are all of our oral arguments. These cases will also be archived and available for viewing after the live stream has ended. For more resources and information about Constitution Day, see the link in the episode description. You've been listening to In the Balance, an Iowa Judicial Branch podcast hosted and produced by me, Marissa Gall. If you would like more information about Iowa's courts, you can visit www.iowacourts.gov. You can also follow the Iowa Judicial Branch on Twitter and YouTube at Iowa Courts. This episode of In the Balance is now adjourned. Until next time.